You know, every once in a while, um, there will there will be an introduction, and and we'll say, well, we want to introduce someone who really needs no introduction, and and this is this is truly one of those cases. Um, I don't know when Brian Burgess first came Great among job, us, but thank you. Uh, you, uh, I think you had hair back then. I did. Sure, yeah. I did. <laughs> and a waistline. But and Brian Burgess has been a favorite, very special guest of ours at junior high camp, senior high camp, camp camp, uh, at winter conferences. And uh, what a blessing it is to hear him open the word of God. So we're excited. Uh, he's uh, coming to us uh, from Beulah Baptist Church. And uh, we're so blessed to have him with us. So I can hear what you're saying over there. You know? I don't know if you knew that. But will you come? Let's warmly welcome Brian Burgess. Good for you. Super, super grateful. Thank y'all so much, Pastor Jeff, Pastor Ann, Faith Fellowship. We've been rolling together for like 20 years now, I think. And uh, amen to the glory of God and super, super grateful. Uh, the church has been here, what, 27 years? Uh, yeah, almost 27 years. And so uh, I, I do remember that first uh, retreat. Uh, it was a spring retreat. Uh, that I had the opportunity to be there at and uh, forge some great friendships that I want to just say thank you to all of you who have been prayer partners for me, for my family. Uh, most of you, a lot of you have uh, prayed over the birth of all four of my children at some point. You keep up with them and and I'm just uh, forever indebted to that. I, I love the fact that um, even though, um, you know, time doesn't always allow for us to be here or there's seasons, because I think the last time I was here was uh, 2019 for the winter uh, winter conference then uh, oh in survivor summer camp yeah uh, sorry uh, but um, just to be in this room with you to be able to celebrate to be able to ask God to do some amazing things I am super super grateful now let me tell you just how much I love you and uh, how much I, I, uh, because tomorrow morning my youngest son Briven has his conference wrestling tournament and 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 I coach his team too <laughs> so uh, uh so uh, be praying for Brevin. Uh, I'm so excited for him tomorrow. He's number one. Uh, he's the number one seed in the 98-pound class. So I just told him, I said, go go uh, wrestle for the glory of God. Make it a short day. Get your win and come home. Okay. And so, uh, but again, tomorrow morning, super excited. We have men. We have our men's breakfast. And uh, uh, let me ask this question. How many of you have ever heard me speak? Like you've heard me speak. How many of you never heard me speak? You're like, who is this bald dude up there? Okay, well, buckle your seatbelts because we're going to have some fun. If you never heard me speak, specifically I'm talking to my guys right now, I just talk plain. Here's my mode of operation. Here's Bible. Here's life. What needs to change? Bible doesn't need to change. We need to change. And only the power of the Holy Spirit can help us do that. And it's bigger than a denomination. It's bigger than what my religious past has been or what my sinful past has been. God can handle it all. And I am a firm believer of that. And so, men, I, I want to I encourage you to be here at every one of the sessions. I hope you grabbed one of the books that, uh, that the church has made for us so that you can take notes. Uh, because we will, we will talk about some things that I hope that will be uh, beneficial for you that you can write down. and So that you can go back to maybe later and study the scripture for yourself uh, as we interact with it. I want to encourage the men to be here tomorrow. I believe the men's 830 tomorrow. 
and guys will just straight talk tomorrow. Um, I'm not going to let the cat out of the bag what I'm going to talk about, but uh, there's a passage. I will tell you, I'm gonna, uh, more than likely, be in the Gospel of Mark. And there's a passage there that I think speaks exactly to us about not only just needing Jesus, but wanting him. And uh, so I want to encourage us to, to be there, invite some buddies. I was at the gym earlier this morning and uh, started talking with some guys, so I invited them. Hopefully they'll come. And So uh, listen, you don't have to know people to invite them. You just got to know Jesus and love him enough, and that'll make you want to invite whoever's in front of you, right? People often say, Pastor Brian, I'm not like you, man. I don't have an outgoing personality where I just, you know, it's not about that. People say, well, I pray for the right opportunity, and I do believe there are divine opportunities. I've, I've spent the majority of my ministry trying to capitalize on divine opportunities. But what I've learned over the, year is, uh, over the years is every person has a soul. And that soul's going to spend eternity somewhere. So that's a divine opportunity. Because only the one who is divine can make the difference in them. I might be able to make them laugh. I might be able to uh, lead them as far as I can. But the real tra- change and transformation is in the Lord. So I want to encourage you guys to be here for that. And then tomorrow night, <clears throat> excuse me, I just went back to puberty there for just a second. And, uh, and then uh, on our two services back to back. And so if, and I'm sure uh, Pastor Jeff and Pastor Anna told you this, on Sunday morning, I will be preaching two different messages though. Uh, so they'll, they'll roll through together. I want to say a big thank you. And I want to encourage you guys to say a big thank you to the children's ministry here and to the school and all that they do. All the years that I've done Winter Conference, they always go all out. And I know this has been a difficult two years for them, but super, super grateful uh, for all of that. So, y'all ready to get to business? You sure? I'm ready. I'm super, super sighted. When you just say sighted, it's, it means that, like, it, it just went to platinum gold level, right? So, uh, let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, I love you and I thank you for this church. Your church here in Melbourne. I thank you, dear Heavenly Father, that over the years you have allowed our paths to to become parallel and to intersect. Because of the cross and because of kingdom work. I thank you, dear Heavenly Father, for the time that I've been able to spend with Pastor Jeff and Pastor Ann and Paul and uh, staff members of this church. And Lord, the people of this church. You have done extraordinary things through them. I've watched you, dear Heavenly Father, through them stress out over, over spring, uh, spring retreats, fall retreats, Lord, winter conferences. I've watched you, dear Heavenly Father, through them do rummage sale after rummage sale and fundraisers and silent auctions, Lord, to get that one more kid. And Father, I've, you have blessed me with the opportunity to stand not only in this room, but on other stages that they have prepped. To see that one last kid that shouldn't have come on the retreat give their life to Christ. I've stood in this room, Father, on Friday nights and I've seen uh, you call men and women to salvation. Lord, I thank you that you are still the Lord of the harvest. You are the God who sustains. And Lord, I put full trust in you that you'll speak tonight and throughout this entire weekend. Lord, that you would grant repentance of sin to those who need to be saved. And Father, that you would grant repentance of Christians who have gone cool in their walk with you. I believe you to speak to every zip code and heart here tonight. And Lord, for the faithful, I pray that you would sustain them because you are the great sustainer. Now pray this with me, church. Jesus, speak to me. 
show me how to live in this world without the world living in me. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray and all God's people said, amen, amen. If uh, you've ever heard me speak, you know that I love stories that are real and that you just can't make up. September the 1st of, ni- uh, of 1939, the war machine known as Germany, Nazi Germany, rolled into Poland and overtook it. Uh, Hitler, who had, who had been a prisoner, written his Mein Kampf, now uh, elected with great uh, fervor as they made him their Fuhrer, steps now to the scene and begins to develop a war machine to take over all of pretty much known Europe. And from there, build a master race and to dominate. There were people um, in, uh, not just in politics, but in religion that believed he was their great, great leader, even in the church. But there are also individuals from the church that knew he was bad, that knew there was something more, there was more going on than what met the eyes, and they were willing uh, to stand against it. Men and women in the church, men and women in their positions of all nationalities, trying to find the greater good and putting themselves at risk, some, many of them for their faith uh, and for the civility of humanity. To stop what they knew was happening to the Jews. I, I came across the picture that I'm going to show you in just a second. When I was in the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C. Anybody? You guys? Anybody ever been there? Uh, there? It was a time in my life where I was very interested, and even now, how do people stand up in seasons where they don't have control over policy or procedure? Now, before if I get some cynical folks, he's going to talk about politics. I'm leaving if he's doing it. No, 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 not, not doing that. But it's difficult to read the Bible and not understand that God moved in real time, in real space with all kinds of kings, all kinds of leaders, all kinds of things going on. So I began to ask this question, and when we, it's been three years. Once COVID hit and we saw our world just kind of flip upside down, how many of y'all know in the last two years have been like a blur and the weirdest time ever? My wife is a principal, a public school principal, and she, I mean, it's just very, very, her job is way more difficult than it ever has been. And I just keep reminding her, I'm like, honey, if you can lead in a pandemic, you can do anything. But I think the season that we've been in, is a pivotal season for the church. And so back then, and then I was reminded of it again, what is really the church's mission during this time? I want to show you a picture of uh, of a town in Poland where the Nazi regime had gone in and taken over. And I want you to see the distinctness of, of the photo. You ready, guys? Will you help me with this? From the moment that I saw this, I was spellbound. I basically turned a corner, walked into a gallery of different pictures. Many of them were church leaders and pastors who, because of Jesus Christ and the sake of the scriptures, just wouldn't follow along. And what we have here, this is a Polish priest in the middle of the city that he serves with his fellow citizens sitting around him, waiting on execution, and my man standing. 
He's not a devil in a dog collar. He is a bright and shining light. That while everyone else is raising their hand to to Hitler, he is resolved. Now there's another gentleman, there's three gentlemen that are standing. This one would be a Nazi soldier. The one in the back is more likely a, a constable that is probably running the gamut like a like a tax collector in the in the old testament in the new testament you know he's he, he's doing he's kind of playing the bg staying alive staying alive ha ha you know and so he's he's caught in between both of these trying to figure out what's going on but there's one guy that is resolved there's one guy that just will not sit down there's one guy standing here that knows that probably in just a few moments he's going to meet his maker looking at the end of a mauser And it's going to happen that fast. And it doesn't matter how he voted. It doesn't matter what he wanted. He was now in a season of life where he had never had to experience probably anything like this. But he is so resolved, he won't sit down, he won't bow down, he won't break. Where are those people today? For the cause of Christ. I believe the church is in a season to where I think... COVID, and I'm going to speak to you like I would speak to my church, okay? Where COVID is going, has refined the church. It's really sorted it out. We're starting to see the, the, the wheat from the tares. I hope I'm, I hope I'm wheat, okay? I'm not putting myself over anyone, right? I, I think it's for those who are believers. And remember, if you're a believer, you don't just go to church. You are the church. And you're, all, you're the church 24 hours of the day, seven days a week. And we gather for moments like this for, for boot camp. We call it winter conference because it's sophisticated. What, when I get fired, this is like boot camp, man. You know? This is like a, this is like a burn boot camp, right? Any of y'all ever go to a burn boot camp? Who in the world would do that to themselves? Good law, right? Maybe pick stuff up, throw it down, pick it up, throw it down. Three more times. But throw it at you. What are you talking about, right? It's, it, it's moments where we push ourselves spiritually so that when we are pushed, the Spirit of God will come out of us. Not come out of us to leave us, but really stand up in a dark world. Are you with me? I think one of the best books that we have, uh, all of the scripture I love, but one of the best books to help us illustrate this kind of living is the book of Daniel. And what I want to help us understand, this is our big idea, and we prayed it a while ago, for these four sessions is this. Go forward with me, guys. How do we live in the world without the world living in us? How do I live in this world? Jesus hadn't come back yet. How many of you guys believe Jesus is coming back? Come on. How many of you have forgotten he's coming back? Man, you keep plugging in on CNN and Fox and podcast and... How many, how many of you on this season are just like, I don't even watch TV anymore. I can't handle it. I can't listen to nothing. Blood pressure's too high. I got four different blood pressure pills and I'm about to stroke out, right? Anybody? Look, I get it. People call me every day. I'm just like, you know, it's like, stop, stop the madness, right? But this is the world we live in. This is the world that God didn't put us on Mars, you know. He, he put you here. By his will, he put you in Florida, an amazing state. I was born here, 
and left as fast as I could. No, I'm just kidding. That, that's a joke. I, I didn't have anything to do with that. But he's called me to live uh, locally in a place in North Carolina. This is where he's called you to live and work and move and have your being for his glory. It's where he's called you to raise families. And it's called, and here, because it's a part of a larger broken world, there are seasons where brokenness is slammed in your face. How many of you have ever been through those seasons? Where the unexpected uh, now becomes the expected. Where that season, you know, it's kind of like a... I've been on some flights where you just fly through turbulence and it's like, oh, okay, I got you. And then I've been on some flights where from the time we left the ground to the time they got me where I was at, it was all turbulence. I was like, that was no fun. Isn't it funny how like we can, if you're 35,000 feet in the air and you're bouncing up and down, you're like, "Mm -mm, no, 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 put me down. You go to, you go to a theme park and they bounce you up and down for 35 seconds. You're like, that was great. I can't want to do it again. Right? Why? Because it's our perspective. If you know you're going to live through it, you can handle it. And when you don't know that you're going to live through it, you're always on edge. Ah! You know, you like the cats weird me out, y'all. Can I get another amen on that one? Now, you cat lovers, don't be sending me ugly texts and emails, okay? <clears throat> but a cat, you can pet a cat, Pastor Jeff, right? And it'll be like, and then all of a sudden it turn around and bite you. What's wrong? My dog never does that to me. But that cat will wear you out and they just won't bite you. They'll grab on and then them legs will be like, wait, 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 right? Like my forearms are scratching post. Sometimes that's how brokenness does us. We get used and tamed to this world. We listen to Pastor Jeff, Pastor Ann, Brother Paul speaks, uh, our uh, small group leader. Maybe you listen to me on Tuesday or Thursday mornings or listen to our sermons and download them. And, and, and we listen and we hear it and it moves us. But many of us, if not all of us, myself included, have gotten a little tame with the world. We've gotten used to petting the world. And then we act crazily surprised when the world bites us. And when the world latches on with no intention of letting go and with them two hind legs like a cat just raking the skin off of us. And for many of us, the decision is not get rid of the cat. It's they didn't mean to. It's just their nature. We negotiate the threat and then become comfortable with it. Let me go back to the flight and the roller coaster analogy. If you're a born again believer, Jesus said, at the incidents with Lazarus, that he is the resurrection and the life. Though he die, yet shall he, well, he who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he what? It doesn't matter what happens, y'all. We're going to live through it. Whether on here or whether there. Does that make sense? So it keeps the perspective when I'm jump bouncing up and down. And it keeps the perspective when I'm getting raked in ways I never thought I, oh, I don't know how much more I can take, right? That I'm not by myself. But it has to do with a heart and a mind disposition of what we're going to do. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Daniel chapter 1. <clears throat> there are a lot of nuggets in, in what I want to do tonight, but I also realize I have, have a limited amount of time. 
And tonight and tomorrow, I, I, look, if you, I know our children will be waiting on us, but I want to be able to walk through some things. I want to be able to unpack some of these treasures, but get to, get to some nuggets that we can hold on to. And so I may not be as much as in a hurry tonight or tomorrow. Of course, Sunday morning, we'll, we'll, you know, it'll be like gangbusters. We'll, you know, move them like a cattle. Get them in and get them out. But let's listen to the scripture and let's figure out if we can pull some propositional truths to, to what's happening here. Notice the word of God. The Bible says in Daniel chapter 1, verse 1, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Now they had been warned over and over and over by the prophets that if they did not get right with God, they'd be overrun. Well, guess what? They got overrun. And now all of them get basically carted up and taken off. But notice this. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, or Shinar. To the house of his God, Marduk, a Babylonian God, a God they sacrificed children to daily. So he took the vessels of God and he took them to that house. He took the things that were dedicated to God... And he dedicated them to a God that is no God. Are we not seeing that in our world today, guys? Let me just scroll it back. Have we not seen that since the fall of Adam and Eve? But maybe I'm getting, I'm, I'll be 46 in two weeks. Maybe I'm, thank you, I appreciate that, right? Uh, welcome to the world of bifocals and um, metabolisms that just don't work and um, all that kind of stuff, right? Maybe I'm just getting older, but I'm seeing a season of real fast forward of taking things that God gave and dedicating them to a God who is no God. So, and he placed the vessels in the treasure of his God. Now, I want us to pick up on some things here because what we're going to see, and I, I missed the slide, sorry guys, is I want to do a comparison here between Back up with me, if you will. Daniel and Jehoiakim. When Daniel writes, you, when you read the entire book of Daniel, you're going to find first person, third person, and then some real historical markers so that you can trust that, the, that Daniel, the book, is legit. God always does that in the scripture. There are over 250,000 historical artifacts to prove the truth of Old and New Testament. More than any other sacred text that's out there. Isn't that awesome? Man, and they're just excavating more and more and more and more. Just lining up with what God already said was true. But in this first verse, we already know the book is about Daniel. Really, it's about God and how God uses Daniel. But he, he gives us... Basically two people. He gives us a historical figure, Jehoiakim, king of Judah. Now, let me help us understand as we go forward, Jehoiakim, and then we're going to come back and look at Daniel and see how they did things differently. Okay? Now, go forward with me, fellas. If you were back to the next part of the slide. And one more. Let me pick up on this before I read this. As they've been carted off, all right? They've been carted off. There's... I don't know, scholars say it's anywhere between 600 and 900 miles. They cart them off. Jehoiakim now plays a very special role. He is the king of Judah, but he's really a puppet king. 
And to know really who he is and what he's about, you got to roll back to uh, you got to roll back to Second Kings twenty three. This is where, um, uh oh, so yeah, Second Kings twenty three. Is that right? Yes. Now notice this: Jehoiakim was twenty five years old when he began to what reign. We got any twenty five year olds in the house? Any twenty five year olds in the house? Y'all don't like some 25-year-olds up in here? Well, hey, girl, what's up? How y'all doing? How you mama now? Good to see you, right? And he reigned, what? 11 years in Jerusalem. Now, his mother's name was uh, Zibidah, the daughter of Padiah, the Ruma, of Ruma. And he did what? What was evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his, what? Fathers had done. Now, let's pick up on this just a little bit. Jehoiakim is a puppet king. Before Babylon, Babylon took over, Egypt had taken over, and they renamed him. His real name is Eliakim, which means God will preserve or God will hold you up. Now, we don't think much about people's names today, but in the ancient world, if you were given a name, it was a character that you were supposed to live out. So you got a guy that's named Eliakim, which means God will hold me up. He gets changed to Jehoiakim by the Egyptians, which still means God will sustain me. All right? Now think about this. Here's a guy that has followed a season of kings that are wicked with a name that says what? God will sustain me. As the Egyptians overtake him, they make promises. They negotiate. It's kind of like uh, if, uh, if, if you guys all owned a company and I bought your company out, I, Joe, I'd pick you out and I'd say, Joe, you're going to run the company. And, uh, uh, and uh, uh, who, who else am I going to pull in here? Um, and Mo, you're going to be, uh, you're going to run another branch of the company. And if we hit these numbers, I'm going to give you this much and I'm going to give you that much, Mo. Okay. Well, before you can even hit your numbers, Jeff rolls in, buys us all out. And he demotes all of you. <laughs> you ever been through that before? <laughs> That's real life. <laughs> right? This is what's happening in the scripture right here. And now he is, uh, he's 25 years old. He's a pretty young king of a, uh, of, a, of a region at this moment. But like his fathers, although his name means God will sustain me, does Jehoiakim do what God wants him to do? Very clearly, he says, and he did what was what? Evil in the sight of the Lord. Go forward with me in the text, guys. The Bible tells us that, uh, that we know this because uh, in Jeremiah, we also pick up on the fact that, uh, did, did we miss Jeremiah in there? Is it? There we go. That, Jehuda, that, that Jehoiakim was warned by Jeremiah that what was going to happen to Israel was going to happen. But my man, notice what he does. So Jehuda, the reader, read three of the four columns of the letter that Jeremiah had sent him, warning him, if you guys don't repent, there's a nation that's going to overtake you. What does my man do? The king, who is... Jehoiakim, go ahead and say it with me so you can get it out of, out of your mouth. Ready? One, two, three. Jehoiakim cut them off with a knife and threw them into the fire, in the fire pot, until the entire scroll was consumed in the fire that was on the fire pot. Yet neither the king nor any of his servants who heard all these words was what? Nor did they what? 
So they're being warned because of your sin. And sin's not just the wordy dirts that you say. It's actively choosing your way over God. When they hear that, when they hear that, Jehoiakim is over there slicing it up. He's making kindling out of it. His heart is so hard. Think about it. It'd be like this, Pastor Jeff. You're here preaching one of the best sermons and you always bring great content. You're preaching one of the best sermons ever, and you got a you got a guy sitting in the middle over here with his Bible, and he's tearing the Bible out just one page at a time, giggling. Now I got a feeling in this room that wouldn't go over very well. He might get some hands real quick, right? And then he says they don't rent their clothes, they don't tear their clothes. That was a sign of repentance. Man, it was a way in which you based yourself. In other words, it was a physical way of saying, what I have heard has torn me deep. I know I'm in error. That's crazy, isn't it? We think people are bad now, man. Woo! So go back to what we know now happens to Jehoiakim. Go go with me to... uh, uh, sorry, I don't know why things are out of, out of whack. I hate when we do this. Go with me to, to uh, what I miss. Yes. In his days, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up and Jehoiakim, read it with me, church, became his servant for And then he what? And rebelled against him, to which we know what? He's dead. Now, this three years is important because it's going to be the same three years that our next character is going to go through. It's a specific school and training to totally immerse yourself in Babylonian culture so that you would forget that you're an Israelite. So that you would forget the covenant of God. So that you would forget the promises of God and the hope that you have in God. So that you would be so immersed, you would be brainwashed now to be a mercenary or an emissary for Babylon. Are you with me? Now pick up on this. If you're taking notes real quick, go forward with me, guys, and just the the list. Go forward one more time. There we go. So when we talk about Jehoiakim, he's in royal lineage. His name gets chained by the Egyptians, but it basically means the same. He's taken to Babylon. He is put in the king's training for three years, but how does he respond to it? He does what is evil in the eyes of the Lord and he rebels and he's dead because of it. Now let's go forward in the book of Daniel and see what happens here. Now the king, then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the what? Royal family and of the nobility. Youths without what? Blemish, good appearance, y'all read it with, uh, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans or the Babylonians. If I have students in this room, this is the reason if you are a Christian, you cannot goof off in school. Because throughout the scriptures, God opens doors for those who are willing to work hard and know their stuff so that they can be used to have the platform. 
Okay, now I'm not saying everybody, good law, just take a look at Peter, James, and John. Not everybody had an Ivy League education. When you are brothers and you are called the sons of thunder, <laughs> um, not a lot of people were inviting you over to their house. Because if you are the sons of thunder, that means you are always brewing for a fight. You make a great bouncer, not somebody to handle China at the fine dining night. Okay, are you with me? This is the push. In this group now is going to be four young men, one in, in particular that now the scripture is going to focus on. Now, how old was Jehoiakim when he gets carted at the same time to Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar's three-year school? How old is he? He was, he was 25 years old. He's somewhere around this age time, okay? Most of these youths were between 15 and 17, and there's going to be a group of guys that are going to fit that bill. Let's go forward, fellas, and see what the scripture says. Now, the king assigned a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine he what? This is like a HR in a benefits package. Okay? That way the workers aren't always looking over the king's table going, why are we getting something like that? All right. Now, this would have been meat that had been sacrificed to Marduk. This would have been wine that was not grown in a way that was, con was conducive for a young man or a young woman of Israel to stay in, in proper, uh, proper cleanliness of soul and mind to worship God at any moment. This would have defiled them. And I guarantee you that the four boys we're going to talk about they know it. But there's lots of youths that have gone with them. And the king now, if you're in my school, this is my mess hall. And if you're learning my stuff, you're going to eat like I do, so you want my kind of life. Are you with me? In other words, he says, I'm going to make it so good for y'all after this long journey that it's going to be hard for you to say no to me. That it's going to be so pleasant now because you don't have anything to go back to in Jerusalem. And I'm not going to let you go back. That you're either going to go along to get along or you're going to go on the ground. Which one's it going to be? Are you with me? They're walked into a land that they have no, uh, no control of policy or procedure. <laughs> they got no vote. And it doesn't matter how right they think they are. They are now in a, in a place to where the only, play, only thing they have control over is themselves. Amen? It's amazing in the culture in which we live right now, everybody thinks they're right and nobody's willing to control themselves. I watch YouTube videos of students standing up and saying things to teachers that if I'd have done that, huh, that teacher would have knocked my teeth out. I'm talking about little Miss Petite, little Miss Smith. She'd have slapped the taste out of my mouth. And then when I got to the principal's office, he'd have torn my hind end up. And guess what? Nobody had been able to sue either one of them because why? They're, they were the authority. And then when my parents got there, it was like judgment day. So I knew that there was a clear authority. They were right. I might not agree with it. But as long as I was here for these eight hours, <laughs> there was an authority that wasn't me. So I had to learn. I have to control myself. Amen. Now, I know I'm old school with that. 
I know some of y'all are like, now I'm going to count. One, two. Y'all heard me say it before. Time out at my house is when my mama hit me, backed up, and hit me again. That was the time out. My house, to my children, we say first time every time. I don't negotiate sin. And I ain't negotiating your disobedience. Because one day I'm going to be dead, and all you're going to have is the Lord. That's really all who you got anyway. And when he tells you to do something, you're going to expect him to go, one year, two years, 25 years, I'm waiting on you. Now, he does that in his providence sometimes. But what if I, mm, yeah, anyway, let's go back to this. I'm running out of time. So they were educated for three years. Educated with the literature, the language, to the point that by the time they get through with these three years, their dialect even sounds like the Chaldeans. They look like Chaldeans. They learned the Hammurabi Code. They are, they are learning law and literature so that what they, what they learned as boys and girls in, in, uh, in Israel is gone. The problem is there's four kids here that you can take them out of Israel, but you can't take Israel out of them. Among these were, read it church, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now, just like Jehoiakim, these boys, they got names too that mean something. Daniel's name means uh, God is my judge. Mm. I love the new tattoos I see all the time, man. I get invited invite to do these youth retreats, and it's always at like a summer, uh, like a, a water park. And I'm behind some dude that's got like a dollar bill tattooed on his back. I ain't hating on tattoos. Don't hear me on that, okay? But it'll be like, only God can judge me. I always want to tap him and go, what's he going to judge you for? I know what he's going to judge me for, right? In other words, uh, I'm free from your judgment. Only God can judge me as though, as though my judgment is worse than God's judgment. Are you kidding me? Like, man, rethink the tattoo. It's like getting, instead of no regrets, like no regrets. I mean, like, come on, let's, let's rethink this tattoo. If you have that tattoo, I'd be glad to talk to you about it afterwards, okay? I realize, all right. Hananiah's name means God has favored me. Mishael's name means uh, who is what God is. I got a feeling when Mishael kind of walks with a bit of a swagger about him a little bit. Who is what God is, right? He, he, got, a, he got a little bit of moxie about him. And then Azariah's name is Jehovah has helped. Now these are the boys that are in here. These are the boys that have walked in. This is what God is up to with them. Now notice as the scripture goes forward here. And Azariah of the tribe of Judah, the same tribe who was from? Thank you very much. Just went like 600, 700 years, or 400 years now, right? But Jehoiakim. So the same things that Jehoiakim learned, that Daniel learned, who learned? The same policies and procedures that, that Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were supposed to live, Jehoiakim was supposed to live. Now notice this. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. He renames them. Belteshazzar to Daniel. Hananiah was called Shadrach. Mishael called Meshach. Azariah named Abednego. All of these names are for Babylonian gods. Which are really no gods. Protect the king. They're all, 
Here's the point. Culture will always try to rename you. Let me give you, can I give us a couple examples? I'm way over my time. Uh, to our really smart kids, we call them uh, academicians. And it's great when scholarships are rolling in, but what happens when they just break down and have just had too much on them? What do we call them then? Drop out? Um, some of you, culture has named you retired. Which for some, because culture says that, it was the end-all be-all of when you bought your house with a 30-year mortgage and you bought it when you were 25, so when you were you know, 55, it'd be paid off, and then you could spend however many years you had left doing what you want to do, and if people didn't like it, leave, right? Well, what I see that does to even believers is it gives me an excuse to waste my final days with all my experience of life. Those of you who are 20 years ahead of me, you've lived through stuff I hadn't even thought about. You've experienced things I, I don't have a frame for yet. I can empathize, but I don't, I don't know what it's like. And if you're always playing golf and always running to the mountain house, which Jesus ain't against. He's not against all that. Right? Can I, amen? But if that's the end all be all, be all goal of, of what I got and what I earned and what I was blessed with, then then who's passing the baton of faith to realize there's something bigger in my life than just me being retired? We go through a sickness and culture says, oh, she's got cancer. Oh, he, he's got this. It's real. The tests show it's real. The chemo's real. The sickness is real. And so what that, that label does is now it teaches you to live in what I call the trapeze moment from, from doctor's visit to doctor's visit. Uh, hope, 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 pray, 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 hope, hope, hope. And so you go and, you, and then you start the treatment. And then you do the swing. You take your lows and then uh, we got another doctor's appointment in, in eight weeks. And this is our hope, this is our hope, this is our hope. And it might go well or it might not go that well. And so then I live another series of that. You've seen it? I see this as a pastor all the time. My goal now as a pastor is like, I don't care what the test said you are. You are a person of faith. Cancer might take me out of this world. It may be that chosen path that I, that I win and receive my eternal glory. But to my, to my church, I say, I got to figure out how to help you live a level path, not this. So that you see... That God is not done with you just because there's a broken virus manifested in your body. And when I can get my people, my church to realize that, my believers to realize that, oh, they are dangerous with the gospel, Pastor Jeff. I tell them, I say, look, you've been through chemo. Why not share the gospel? They, even if they were cannibals, they don't want to eat you because you got crazy chemicals in your body right now. <laughs> Let's rethink this and start using it. Do, do you see the difference? It's like when I get named this, it's a, I get called preacher. I never look at a plumber and go, what's up, plumber? <laughs> right? I never, I, you know, I, I don't look at an accountant and I go, hello, accountant. How are you today? Right? 
I, now, I love being a pastor. I love being an evangelist. I think that's part of my calling. But, you know, it's like, it's like Pastor Jeff, once they, once they preacher Jeff, right? You know, thank God for the word pastor, right? It's like we're the ultimate celestial killjoys, right? <laughs> Boo on fun. Man, I didn't realize how much fun I had until I got saved. I mean, when I got saved, that's when I really started having fun. Amen? I, 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 I love to celebrate the life that's in me to where I, I don't just let labels shift me. And I could go on with that. Are, are you with me? So now they, they get named. Now let's go forward in the text and see what's going on. Now here's what's going to happen. And let me tell you the story. As they are, and you got to think about this, in my mind, how many of you are ever seen, I hate to use this illustration, Harry Potter, anybody? All right. They're Mill Hall. You, you, ever, you ever see that? Like you got all, the, I can't even say all the names of those. Yeah, anyway. But you got hundreds of kids eating, 15 and 17 year olds, right? These long tables probably all throughout this big room. And at, 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 at I got a <laughs> at mealtime, here they come. Throwing out the fillet mignon, you know. They got the good stuff that they never got to eat, man. I mean, it's mealtime. And everybody just chows down. Everybody's eating. This is all we're going to eat, man. This is what we're supposed to do. We're in this three-year mercenary emissary kind of training here. This is our special college that we have now. Life's different. But notice what the Bible says in verse 9. But... Or verse 8, but read it, church. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Everybody's chowing down. There's probably hundreds, if not thousands, of these individuals that are there. All same age. Jehoiakim is probably at a table over from Daniel. But Daniel and Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, when they set the table down, they don't get up and throw the plate down and go, I ain't eating this mess. I got a feeling, Pastor Jeff, they just pushed it to the table, center of the table, and sat there. So I got a feeling that when Daniel was probably shackled walking his way into Babylon, he saw that big arch that big statue of Marduk that has a fire pouring out of its belly where its hands are out and every day men and women standing there offering not only cattle and grain and their animals but bringing their children and throwing them into that fire I got a feeling that through the streets of Babylon which is modern day Iraq that that there was a smell of burnt flesh all around him and I got a feeling that that boy that was taken out of Israel, 15 year old to 17, how old he is, maybe 16 years old, that when he rolled in there, he saw that and he knew exactly that he was not, he was no longer in Israel, but Israel was going to stay in him. He was no longer in a land where Yahweh Elohim's name was exalted, but he would make sure you might change my zip code, but you won't change my heart code. See, Daniel realized that I'm in a different world, but I'm not going to let this world live in me. And so the scripture says, Daniel resolved himself. He resolved that he would not defile himself. The word resolve means a resolution. It means to take a stand. It means to draw a line and say, I'm not stepping over it. Everybody else is 
chewing it up. You hear forks and knives scraping on plates and you can hear four guys' plates rummage across a wooden table. Now you got to know that with a group like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, like there's got to be one of them. Well, just think about it this way. Any of y'all got a group of friends that in that group of friends, there's always one friend that gets you in a mess. They just can't ever let it go. Right? You with me? I got a feeling this is that group. Now, they'll all roll together, but there's always the instigator. We call them Maytag. They're the agitator. Right? (laughs) And I got a feeling that when Daniel pushed that plate back across the table... Oh, Shadrach went, man, not here. I got a feeling these boys have been rolling together since kindergarten. I got a feeling this is not the first scuffle they've ever been in. This is not the first moment they've ever begged to differ, uh, begged for the question. I got a feeling this is not the first time that Daniel has pushed them and put them in a situation where it's going to get a little risky. I got a feeling, oh, who is what my God is like? Are, are you, are you, are you, we just got here. Are you seriously going to do this now? <laughs> but Daniel is resolved. He takes a stand to not defile. The word defile translates stain himself. To not negotiate with the cat that it's okay for you to scratch me. And he did it very specifically because he knew what he was eating was an enticement to negotiate everything else that was being forced on. See, it never starts big. It's always little. Am I I preaching anybody? It, it, It never starts where you're the strongest. It starts where you're the weakest. I mean, think about it. What do they tell you? Uh, uh, husbands, you ever tell your wives now, honey, if you go to the store and it's late, park near what? Park near the entrance. Where it's, park near a light. Why? Less likely anything bad to happen, right? If you're going to go, we, we tell students, you're like, hey, no, no one, nobody going by themselves, right, Pastor? You got to have a partner, two by two, three by three, you know, four by four, everybody, everybody together. Because there's strength there. See, the enemy loves to, loves to isolate you because it makes it easy for him to annihilate you. But there's four guys here, one in particular that says, uh, I ain't eating it. Not drinking the Kool-Aid. Not happening. He resolved not to defile himself with the king's meat or drink. Go forward with me, guys. What are we looking at here? Go forward. He has the same situation. Daniel's a part of the royal lineage. His name gets changed to Belshazzar, which is a dedication to the sun god. He too is taken to Babylon. He too is in the king's training for three years. But what? While Jehoiakim does what is evil in the eyes of God, Daniel does what? He resolves not to dishonor God. Now let me take this a step forward if, if we can. Can I, 
Let's go this a step forward. Let me show you what happens. And then we'll make some quick resolutions with it. You, you ready? Y'all still with me? As for these four youths, God gave them learning. Uh, let me tell you, I feel like we're, I don't, something happened when we transferred things over. What's the next, what's the next text? Yep, back it up to what we were before this one. Let me tell you what happens. The chief unit comes by and sees the boys not eating. And Daniel's like, we're not eating it, right? You ever sat at a lunch table and had a teacher, like, you remember when you were at a lunch table and had a teacher come over, or the principal come over and wonder what y'all were doing, right? And if your buddies are sitting on the other side of the table, they're looking at you with like crazy eyes, you know? I got a feeling Meshach was doing, you know, Shadrach was doing that to, to Daniel. You know, the chief unit can't even see it. Daniel says, look, we're, we're not going to eat this. And the eunuch looks at him and says, uh, why would you endanger my job and my head at the case of the fact that you, you boys are going to be a little high and mighty today? Can't you see the rest of the kids that are in here? Jehoiakim being one. I guarantee you the whole time Jehoiakim's over there, Pastor Jeff, he is saying and going, one day I'm going to get out of here. I, I'm, uh, I don't know when it's going to be. But, and he does. The scripture says he revolted in. He rebelled. And he lost all the influence that he had. Are you with me? And so Daniel says, look, test us. It won't be your head. Let it be our head. I guarantee you, Shadrach, look at me. (laughs) He said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to test us for 10 days and we're not going to eat anything but lentils and basically drink water. And I guarantee at the end of the 10 days, we're going to look better than the rest of these guys that are here. This is where everybody gets the Daniel fast, right? This wasn't the Daniel fast for them. This is like keep my head uh, on, my, <laughs> on my shoulders and don't dishonor God. And he says, if we, if we don't, at the end of the 10 days, you can chop our heads off. That punishment that you say will happen to you, let it happen to us. And so what happens? Ten days, they're given a different diet. That which was not dedicated to a pagan god, that which was in line with what their convictions were from from their faith tradition. And at the end of the ten days, well, they looked better and were more healthy than anybody else there. To the point that now Daniel has influence over the entire menu. (laughs) No more meat, no more wine. How popular do you think Daniel was? (laughs) I got a feeling Daniel, Pastor Jeff, has been known for that for a long time. Just a goody two-shoe. You messing up everything, Daniel. You think we're going home anytime soon? You think it's going to get any easier? But notice what God does for these guys. Let's read these texts and then we'll close it up. He says, and for these four youths, for these four, hundreds in the room, for these four youths, Jehoiakim's in the room. For these four youths, God gave them learning and skill and all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. God honors himself by their dedication. And he gives them skills that they need in real life. Hear this, Christians. Look, 
I want to get closer to Jesus and be more faithful to Jesus, not just so I can raise my hands in a room like this, but so that in this dark marketplace world and the populace of this world and the mundane pedantic things that I have to do every day from getting up to going to work to paying bills to raising children to being a part of this thing, be a part of that in the populace so that God would be willing to give me skills that set me apart in the middle of other people that should have the same skills. Do you see that? See, when you think about that, it's not just about, oh, me being successful so I can retire when I want to or I can have my best life now. It is putting myself in a position to where I can live in this world without this world living in me and I can live by the standards of that world and God do miraculous things through me so that I can have influence. Jehoiakim lost his influence. Daniel's now started with the whole blame cafeteria. You imagine the dietitian thanking Daniel. Daniel, I'm so tired of cooking all that food, honey. You made it so easy. All I got to do is just boil noodles and some, and some vegetables. I mean, it used to take me three days to get ready to feed y'all. Now it's like, I don't know, half a day. Thank the Lord for you, boy. Right? Come on. Every cook that's in here that gets tired, they never will let you not cook for a holiday or family meal. You know you'd love to have a little Daniel when everybody roll in and say, we're just going to have a salad this year. Thank the Lord. We don't, we don't need all that ham. We don't need them biscuits. We don't, we're just going to have a salad. Don't you tell me you wouldn't put a double lip lock on them and hug them and say, bless you. Now watch verse 19. And the king spoke with them. Read it, church. And among all of them... None was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before. Standing before the king means the king now is comfortable with them. There is nobody like them. Can you imagine when they went through their exam and the king began to ask them chapter and verse of Babylonian law and culture? And those boys being able to say it, not with an Israelite accent, but with a Chaldean accent. I don't know what that would sound like. I'd try to mimic it if I could. And the rest of the dudes that are standing up there with them are just like, um, 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 I, I got a feeling. Again, Shadrach goes, I got you, dog. Let me hand it, help you out. Blah, 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 blah. And he would say it. Well done. Step back. To the point that it's only four standing. Go forward with me, guys. And in every manner of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them what? How many days were they tested? As a 10, come on, you see it? Proportionate faith. And he found them 10 times better than all the magicians, the enchanters that were in all his kingdom. Not just the boys that were brought. Now... They, they're set apart in the whole kingdom. Four little Israelite boys, 15, 17 years old now, are bigger than the most trusted magician. And Daniel was there until what? The first year of King Cyrus, 60, almost 70 years. How long was Jehoiakim there? Who stayed around long enough to have influence? Let me help us with this real quick and I'm going to close. I'm sorry, I'm way over my time. Go forward with me. 
deep in the pocket. Notice what else God does with him. This is in uh, chapter 2. Then God gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over, read it church, over the whole province of Babylon and the chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. And Daniel made a request to the king. He appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. That's a faithful friend. When you get promoted, you're like, no, bring my boys with me. That's deep in the pocket of just how God honors himself. I don't have time to go through all that in the book of Daniel. But hear this. Let's close with these points. Go forward, guys. First thing I want us to see is this. Equality does not mean equity. Jehoiakim and Daniel both had the same opportunities. Actually, Jehoiakim is in a better position than Daniel is. He's king of Judah. But although they had equal, equal moments... It did not turn out with the same equity. Jehoiakim loses his life. Jehoiakim could have seen his name meant what? Do you remember what his name meant? God will sustain me. He had the moment and the ability to have faith to walk into a land that was not friendly toward Israelite, toward the faith of God, of of the Jews at all, to what you and I have adopted by faith that led us to Christianity. We're going to, you're going to see in the book of Daniel, and I know as Pastor Jeff brought you through, you're going to see a very specific doorway of the, the prophet, what we call the, the messianic window that Daniel prophesies about, he foretells about. Joachim could have done all of that. He could have, he could have led King Nebuchadnezzar to be faithful to that. He could have had influence, but because he could not, secondly, get his head and his heart pulled together. Your head and your heart matter in every situation. You ever been in those situations where your head was telling you to do one thing, but your heart was doing, or you felt your heart tugging you this way, but you overthought it and you didn't do anything? Come on, you've you been there? You ever, you ever been in the grocery store and you're watching the person in front of you and the Lord says, pay for it. And you're like, Pfft. And you look for the guy that you think the Lord's talking to. And maybe it's not the whole grocery bill, but you start seeing that single mom and you're smart, you pick up on it if you pay attention, if you're not so self-centered. You see them start shuffling things around. Putting it over here. Man, you, if you feel that nudge, you better have head and heart together. See, I believe most churchgoers are 18 inches away from salvation. They got all the right knowledge here, none of the passion for Christ here. They got all the denomination and when they got baptized, but no passion for Christ. They're 18 inches away from salvation. Is that you? Let them meet. Let the equity come out of that. You, you ever, uh, it's, it's like going to the gym. You ever, you ever seen somebody with like a really big upper body and then looks like they're riding a chicken? And, and then the guy next to him like full out matches, you know? Why? They had equal opportunity at the gym. But it didn't, equity didn't work out. Are you with me? You ever seen people be in church for 30 years and still get mad when their pastor talks to them about tithing? But you got somebody that's been in church for three years and they're just like, God, I I want what you want in my life. 
I, want, I, I don't want to rob you. I, I want the windows of heaven poured upon me. Equality doesn't always equal equity. And what it takes is your head and your heart together. Daniel's head and his heart are together. You might take him out of Israel, but you'll never take Israel out of him. You might walk him away from the land where they said the Shema, Hero Israel, the Lord thy God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself, as Jesus will tell us, is the, the, is the, is the second greatest commandment. The, the second is like the first. You might walk him out of that zip code, but you will never walk that out of him. You might walk the, the entire tribe of Judah into a land where nobody minds the stain of Babylon. But Daniel says, in my head, in my heart, I will not be stained by this. I will not let it darken me. I will not get used to petting this cat that I know will turn on me. And so, what does he do? Here's the third point. Risk for that which matters is always right. It was a huge risk to slide that that plate back across the table. It could have ended with death. But the Bible says, and God gave Daniel favor in front of the chief eunuch. That grace that opens the doors. You know, we risk a lot in life. Life is a risk, right? But what are we risking for the kingdom? Do I have such a conviction about how God wants me to live that when the world is trying to talk me out of it or my certain scenario is trying to talk me out of it, that I just won't let it? I'm resolved. Look, you can take this message a lot of ways. You can put it in the time and the space that we're in politically, socially, economically, in the world. And some of you are comfortable to do that. And at that point, you got to really recognize, what are you going to be? Are you going to be an authentic disciple of Christ that you resolve in your heart that everything God has called me to do, I'm going to live out. My head and my heart are going to be together. And I realize there is a target on me. Do you guys realize that there is still one entity on the face of the earth that has more authority and power than the White House? It has more authority and power than a nuclear bomb. It has more authority and power than the the deepest of deepest of pockets. Do you know what that entity is? It's the local church. Can I just get real for a second? You you don't think so? I do. Because now I'm a pastor... And we're a growing church. And every election time, I start getting all these politicians rolling through my church. Waiting for me to call their name from the pulpit. Now, I love them. I go to lunch with them. I go to breakfast with them. But guess what? You ain't going to use this platform for your gain because you realize I have influence. I might believe in you. I might even vote for you as my right. But if you just rolling up to ride the coattails of the influence that I have for the kingdom of God, I can't help you, boss. Does, does that make sense? We have influence. If we have a conviction. 
I love is uh, over the past two years, Pastor Jeff and Pastor Ann and, 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 and um, Paul and I, we have talked how to navigate. And one of the things Jeff and I talked about today is because everybody had all kinds of different expectations. The government saying do this. Local people are doing this. Church members are saying this. Y'all did it here. We did it at Beulah. What is specific for us and our influence? Does that make sense? You, you have that. And it doesn't matter what the policy or the procedure is of the land, whether you like it or you don't. In Jesus Christ, you have an influence that is undeniable if you'll plug into it. Maybe we're not talking about a socioeconomic structure like a political structure like Babylon or Israel. Maybe because of the course of life, you have just been walked into what you would consider a foreign land. Maybe you've experienced death in your family, in your life. You've experienced some kind of loss, some kind of heartache, something... Maybe it wasn't this year. Maybe it was way back, but it just won't quit. It's always gnawing at you. It's always scratching at you. It's always trying to stain you. Resolve in your heart to not let it do that in Christ. If it is that loss... That you hear those voices. I got to trust God in this moment. I got to believe God that he won't leave me. I got to believe God we're going to make it through. I got to believe God. But that other voice, man, and it just speaks. Oh, it's the enemy's voice. See, if he talked like a horror movie, we'd know exactly who he is. But he, he sounds a lot like us when he talks to us, doesn't he? And he'd be like, uh-uh. I'm, all you've done for God and he lets you be in this season, I'd be mad at him. I quit. They didn't like what you said. They didn't like how you did. I'd quit all that. Who's that sound like? Daniel or Jehoiakim? How long did Jehoiakim make it? How long did Daniel make it? Long time. Look, guys, we're not always going to have control over what's out there. But we always have control of what's going on here. And that's the last part. Godly resistance gleans more. Back up. Godly resistance gleans more than sinful rebellion. What do you mean, Pastor Brian? In moments like this, I'm not going to let the news media dictate my flavor for what I think about the world. I'm going to let the B-I-B-L-E. Yeah, that's the book for me. The basic instructions before leaving earth. Garnish this heart and this mind so that I, if I'm going to rebel, it's going to have Jesus all over it. I'm going to learn to, in the midst of the rules, I'm going to learn to, to shift them. Let me tell you how I teach my teachers. This. I'm way over my time. I, I'll, I'll stop here. They say, Pastor, we can't, we can't say that much about Jesus. I said, yeah, but you stand at the doorway of your classroom, don't you? Uh-huh. You wave at those kids that come in? Mm-hmm. You say, hey, but inside, Lord, I pray over this baby in the name of Jesus that you would know. Let them know today they are loved. See, uh, I can do what I do in the midst of the rules. I don't have to stand out there with a placard and go, the school board says I can't say Jesus, but I'm going to say Jesus over every one of these kids. I'm going to say Jesus regardless whether you hear me or not. Because that's who I am. Does that make sense? 
And that's where we have influence. Here's what I want to leave you with, and let's prep for tomorrow. What is it in your life, go forward, you guys, that you really need to borrow Daniel's statement to where you would say, but I resolve that I will not defile myself with this or that. What is it that's scratching at you? What is it that's peeking at you? What is it that's pushing you more to a Jehoiakim? So that you are missing what God really wants to do with you. Or would tonight you'd say, I want to be resolved, Brian. It's never a perfect scenario. Daniel's life proves it. For 70 years, he's going to go through one pressure moment after another, after another, after another. But he has resolved himself and it started with something very small, just a plate of food. Remember what God tells us in the parable about what we'll hear in heaven? Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in the few, I'll make you ruler over many. What is it that's that small thing that's edging at you that you really, in the name of Jesus, just need to and trust God to sustain you. That's where our influence begins. That's where our head and our heart come together. That's where God can drop you in any situation and he will use you to draw others to him. And all God's people said, Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for the willingness of people to be here and to stay longer, Lord, than what was anticipated. I thank you for those who are watching on live stream. And Lord, I ask tonight that you would work in us, that we would no longer be satisfied with negotiating sin in our life, with negotiating culture in our life, with negotiating, Lord, Whatever it is that is walking us away from you, no matter our age, IQ, race, or gender, that, Lord, we could be called by your name and we would stand in your name and we would become distinct because of your name. Tonight, if you're here and you say, Pastor Brian, that's me, I want to be resolved. I want you to just pray this with me. Jesus, I ask you, to help me be resolved that I would no longer be stained by and then name it. What is it? Father, you know your children. You know what you want to do with us. Have your way in Christ's name. Amen. Let us go forth in the name of Jesus with resolve with resolve in his name. Amen. Amen. See you tomorrow.